This is a story about spilled blood, an historic account of lynching in the United States. It is early spring in 1944. Imagine living the life of a hardworking farmer in southwestern Mississippi. Your family owns more than 270 acres of land. The property has been in your family, free and clear, for over half a century. As the elder, your children and their children successfully produce crops and sell lumber. Now imagine that this farmer, who is also a local minister, is a black man. And suddenly this black man is in the fight for his life over this land with a group of white men who don't want him and his family to own it. The black man was the Reverend Isaac Simmons. There were rumors that oil was on his land. One day, six white men showed up and demanded to see the property line. And they resented that he had consulted an attorney about the matter. These men forcibly took Simmons and his son Eldridge from their homes they beat both men and told them that they were smart niggers for seeking legal counsel. Eventually, they shot the elder Simmons, broke his bones, and cut out his tongue. They let the son go, threatening him to keep his mouth shut. Terrorized by the mob, Eldridge was unable to attend his father's funeral, and he and the daughters were jailed and forced to leave the area or be subjected to the same fate as the elder Simmons. Their black tenant workers were also forced to leave the land. After killing Simmons, the men took his land. And even though the son could name the, their attackers, Reverend Simmons' murder was said to have been committed by parties unknown. This is Dr. Catherine Bancoli Medina with the invention of racism. The goal of this podcast series is to share the subtle and not so subtle nuances of racism from the past into the 21st century. Understanding and speaking the truth about racism is the first step toward combating and ultimately eliminating it. Reverend Simmons would be among thousands of black victims of institutionalized lynching violence in the United States through the World War II era. Lynching took black lives, terrorized, traumatized and displaced families and entire communities and it was done with a specific ideology in mind, the philosophy of white supremacy. This podcast episode, a primer on white supremacy, it's about the blood, emphasizes the core doctrine of white supremacy through a major address given by notorious Mississippi Senator Theodore G. Bilbo. Theodore Gilmer Bilbo was a powerful, flamboyant and controversial man. He was a Southern Democratic Party politician who served as Lieutenant Governor 
and governor of Mississippi for two terms before resuming his role as a United States Senator for three terms. He was a proud Klansman and an avowed Southern white supremacist. This podcast focuses on Senator Bilbo's address delivered to the 78th Congress in 1944 on white supremacy before a joint session of the legislature. But before we get started, here are, there, there are a lot of books, articles, and documents about lynching in the United States. But I think to get started, I would recommend the lynching text of Ida B. Wells Barnett, the selected works of Ida B. Wells Barnett, Cheryl and I Fields on the courthouse lawn confronting the legacy of lynching in the 21st century, and the report Lynching in America confronting the legacy of racial terror, which was produced by the Equal Justice Initiative. For works about Bilbo, you can consult a number of volumes, including Chester Morgan's Redneck Liberal, Theodore Bilbo and the New Deal, and Gary Boulard's The Man Versus the Quisling, Theodore Bilbo, Hodding Carter, and the 1946 Democratic Primary. And Bilbo's papers are located at the University of Southern Mississippi in the McCain Library and Archives. So if you want to add to either of these reading recommendations, just send us an email. So in addition to spilled blood, this story is also about the idea of blood purity. Senator Bilbo was a controversial political figure among his peers and an infamous public racist. He began his statement to Congress by examining the fundamental meaning of white supremacy. Summarized here in the following 12 points, Bilbo maintained that number one, white people were superior to black people in every conceivable way. And note that Bilbo used the terms white and Caucasian interchangeably. Number two, People of African descent, according to Bilbo, had no history, science, art, or morality to contribute to the world. Number three, every civilization that had ever been created in world history was created by white people. Number four, as long as white people remained racially pure and did not mix with black people and other people of color, civilization would survive. Number five, interracial relationships cause degeneracy in the bloodstream of white people that could never be made pure again. Number six, the founders of the United States, including Thomas Jefferson, never dreamed of it being anything but a white nation. Number seven, white people were the custodians of the Christian religion. Number eight, Christian ideals cannot be applied in order to allow for miscegenation, the interracial marriage, the legal term for that. 
Number nine, social equality was not meant for the black race. Number 10, citing Plessy v. Ferguson, Bilbo said that racial segregation was the optimal form of race relations. Number 11, racial equality advocates were traitors to the white race and must be ostracized forever and treated like a black person. And number 12, Bilbo believed that whiteness had to be protected unto death. If you read or study the history, systems, and doctrines of racism, then you know that the 12 points gleaned from Bilbo's congressional speech represented the classic white supremacist thinking. He attempted to enshrine the ideas surrounding racial inferiority and superiority, racial purity as a cultural and biological construct. He advanced fears of permanently tainting racial bloodlines. He emphasized that the nation's founders maintained white supremacy for white people. And he provided a direct line from Western interpretations and practices of Christianity to white supremacist dogma. Bilbo was also very clear that white people were expected to uphold these ideals of white supremacy or suffer ostracism or other punishments. So Bilbo wanted his white supremacist beliefs further immortalized. His book, Take Your Choice, Separation or Mongrelization, which was published in 1947, warned white society about the dangers of miscegenation. Bilbo was adamant that social equality was a race relations error and would ultimately lead to the mixing of the races which would destroy whiteness. And in his circular logic, Bilbo supposed that social equality was a fallacy because in his thinking, there could be no equality among those who were not equal. He took every opportunity to operationalize his beliefs. Bilbo penalized the District of Columbia because of the great migration of African Americans from the South to the area. He supported the removal of all black people from the United States through colonization. And he enthusiastically praised any black leader who espoused racial separatism. As governor of Mississippi, Bilbo said that he was powerless to prevent a lynching of a black man that was planned and announced in advance. He opposed legislation that would have criminalized lynching in the state of Mississippi and across the United States. And as biased and bigoted as Bilbo was, he was not an outlier. He was a torchbearer. Southern Democrats did not disagree with Bilbo. They reflected the traditions of the South. But some of his colleagues thought that he was uncouth and corrupt, and they were embarrassed that he was so crude and outspoken about anti-black racism. Clearly, many felt 
that they could accomplish the same goals with concealment and a certain amount of tact. With structural racial violence and discrimination a constant threat, the Simmons family of Amiti County, Mississippi, maintained their property and passed the land on to subsequent generations. They were one of the very few African-American families in the South able to do so. It was understood that the prevailing laws and the politicians would not protect them. Isaac Simmons was kidnapped and beaten. He begged and prayed for his life and was murdered in a wooded field on his property by white men who knew that local, state, and the federal government would shield them and or simply overlook their crimes. On the other hand, Theodore Bilbo, who died a few years after Simmons, was able to retire to his mansion in Poplarville, Mississippi, and later died in New Orleans, Louisiana, where he was receiving medical care. On his deathbed, Bilbo called the black editor of the Negro South magazine, Leon Lewis, to offer a kind of apology to the black people of the state of Mississippi. In the apology, he upheld his racial segregationist views, saying that it was nothing personal against the Negroes as a race. And basically, he didn't want his reputation tarnished. As Isaac Simmons lay dying in the woods, his son and granddaughters were beaten, threatened, jailed, and forced to flee from their family farm to New Orleans. Bilbo was able to die in comfort. They say everyone has power, even the powerless. Months later, Isaac Simmons' son, Eldridge, sent an affidavit to the New York office of the NAACP detailing the crime and naming the perpetrators. The NAACP contacted the governor and the attorney general of Mississippi. Decades later, the Civil Rights and Restorative Justice Project of Northeastern University School of Law reported in 2012 that they had worked closely with the family members to help resolve this case. Unfortunately, the men who committed this lynching were never held responsible for their hate crimes. History tells us that at its brutal foundation, white supremacist violence is about blood spilled for the sake of preserving blood purity. We can understand the evolution of white supremacy in the United States and around the world by analyzing the words and deeds of powerful and influential figures like Bilbo, who believed in these blood rights. He supposed that racial equality was a dangerous myth and that genuine social equality was synonymous with racial segregation. This would ensure that racial amalgamation would never take place and ruin white racial purity. 
Bilbo and his peers recognized and took for granted that Plessy versus Ferguson separate did not mean equal and that there were people like him who would go to their graves upholding white supremacy. I have a postscript here, three points uh, that we wanted to add to this podcast. First, in full disclosure, my family has deep roots in Jackson, Mississippi, and I have lots of stories to tell. They migrated northward to escape racist violence and for employment opportunity. And as a child, my brother and I occasionally spent our summers with relatives in Mississippi. Now, you probably already know that Mississippi legislators recently passed their version of an anti-critical race theory bill, Senate Bill 2113, which was signed into law by the governor. Mississippi has joined a number of Republican-led states and legislatures, misusing the term critical race theory, while at the same time failing to define the concept in order to outlaw the teaching of racism in the history of the United States. Actual CRT has never been taught in primary and secondary schools or at the public college level. Black legislators in Mississippi protested SB 2113. They refused to be part of the process and walked out of the vote. In the state of Mississippi, this bill would effectively criminalize teaching about the lynching of the Reverend Isaac Simmons. And finally, while it took more than a century, President Joe Biden has signed the Emmett Till Anti-Lynching Act, and there have been at least 200 failed attempts to pass anti-lynching laws in the United States due to the efforts to stop these enactments by politicians like Bilbo. The bill was named for 14-year-old black Chicago resident Emmett Till, who was kidnapped and lynched in Money, Mississippi in 1955. He was there visiting relatives during the summer. So lynching in the United States is now a federal hate crime, which includes death, or injury, where the perpetrators can get up to 30 years in jail. So as you can see from these two recent events, the state level anti-CRT bills enacted and the federal hate crimes legislation finally passed that this country has a very old and extremely serious race, racism, race relations problem under the banner of white supremacy. What do you think about all of this? Thank you for listening to this podcast. Support for independent podcasts like The Invention of Racism is so critical at this moment. In the national and global effort to dismantle racism and to establish human equality, we need as many thoughtful and courageous voices as possible. If you believe in and appreciate this anti-racism podcast, continue to download, like, share, and support us. I also encourage you to use your media platform 
to honestly analyze, examine, and to put an end to racism. If you are listening to this podcast, and I thank you, this podcast series, then you know, discourse on racism is not for the faint of heart. I hope that you will continue to join me as I present key topics in the invention of racism.